Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life, faith, and culture from a different angle. I don't have an interview with somebody today. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different, but first, I want to thank all of you who listen and subscribe. If you could leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play, that really helps us get out there. Our audience continues to grow. We recently just turned down an opportunity to debate uh, an, another atheist. So whenever there's a conversation that I can have with an atheist, I, I usually tend to go for it. But frankly, I find myself just growing tired of it. Um, there's a mindset that I find people aren't looking for real interactions. A lot of these discussions comes off as who is smarter, and I don't care who's smarter. A, I usually lose that. Um but just trying to show who's smarter doesn't prove the existence or non-existence of God. It's usually like an ego trip. So I turned that down, and I probably won't do another atheist one for a while. Uh, there's just some more interesting subjects that I would like to get into. And today's going to be kind of a personal one. We're going to be looking at anxiety and depression. So let's play some intro music and get started. Depression and anxiety is for weak people. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought all of you people who would talk about, oh, I suffer from anxiety and I'm just depressed and I need medication. I was like, oh, you're weak. It's just, you're weak. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I thought those thoughts, but I didn't know. It's the same way that I thought people that had migraines were just whiny babies with a headache. I was like, it's just a headache, people. I'm like, you're sitting in the room with the lights off and nobody can talk and you can barely think because your brain hurts. It's like, whatever, that's stupid. Then I had a migraine and I was like, this is the worst thing ever. I'm so sorry, right? Do whatever you can to get through a migraine. And that was the same way I felt about anxiety or depression. I, I'd never had any experience with it. Uh, growing up, I didn't have any anxiety. I probably could have used a little to keep me from doing stupid stuff, but I was fearless. I never worried about the future. I never worried about tomorrow, uh, live fast, die young, right? Like James Dean said, that was, that was my goal. And so I, I didn't have any of those issues. In fact, I'd always been kind of fearless until a day that just crippled me and changed me forever. The, the background to that, the very first panic attack that I had, I was an interim preacher. If you don't know what an interim preacher is, that's somebody who's like a substitute teacher at a church, right? They don't have a pastor, or the pastor's on vacation. You fly in on the white horse, you preach a sermon that you have preached 25 times, so you know it's good, you've worked all the kinks out, and at the end, everybody's so thankful, and if the church doesn't have a pastor, they're all like, would you be our pastor? We love your sermon, that was great. And then you very humbly say, oh no, thank you very much. Uh, I've got the other churches to save in other towns and villages. Then you fly off into the night. Um, I was doing that. Our, our church that we had started in Tulsa met on Thursday, so I was allowed to go preach for years at other churches. And the churches kept getting bigger and bigger. And then these big churches would ask me, Caleb, would you please come and apply to be a pastor of the church? And very humbly, I'd say, no, God has called me to these broken few that I pastor on Thursdays. And uh, one Sunday, I'm at a church, and it's my turn to go up and preach, and the music is done. And they say, again, we have returning 
Caleb Moore, we know you guys loved him last time. He's back this week, and Caleb Moore, come on down. And I didn't come on down. In fact, I stood up, and I ran out of the back. I, I, walked, I walked out of church. Now, it was, I'm sure, an unusual sight to see as the pastor is normally supposed to head towards the stage. I'm walking out the door. And I think people, because I, I, so this church had known me as the barefoot preacher because it was in summer and in summertime, I don't wear shoes even when I preach half the time. So I would just be barefoot up. Uh, so they're like, oh, he's doing something unique. Oh, this is, inter- what's he going to do? Is he going to come in on a zip line and land on the stage? Like, they don't know what I'm doing. They think this is maybe an illustration or I'm going to make a point. <laughs> I don't know how long they sit there till they realize the pastor's not coming back. The church is over. I'm done. And the reason I left is because as the music was playing, something started to happen to me physically that I never had experienced before. I got really dizzy. The, like my mouth got really extremely dry and I just felt this overwhelming urge to get the hell out of there. Like I need, I need to go. And it's that fight or flight mechanism that kicks in and, so like from what I understand about anxiety, it's the fight or flight mechanism in your brain misfires, right? Where it should be a normal situation where there is no desire to run or fight. But all of a sudden it just misfires and kicks in and your body starts telling yourself there's immediate danger and you have to get out of there right away. And I'm trying to convince myself that everything's fine. Just get through the sermon and we'll be okay. Maybe I'm just getting sick. And that's if it's the first time you have a panic attack, you're like, oh, I'm getting sick something's not right. I thought my blood sugar was low. And as I'm out in the car in the parking lot, because I'm unable to drive, I'm too dizzy to drive. I feel really, really weird. Uh, Somebody, one of the deacons comes out and is like, uh, hey, buddy, you okay? And I say, my blood sugar's low. (laughs) So they bring me a piece of chocolate to get my blood sugar up. Um, I don't don't have blood sugar issues, really. I mean, I, I... I'm not diabetic, and I thought for the longest time that these episodes were coming because I was borderline diabetic and hypoglycemic or whatever. Now, if I don't eat, I get really angry and kind of weird. Like, I'm one of those hangry people. My blood sugar can drop if I don't eat, but that wasn't the cause of it because it kept happening. So I didn't preach that Sunday. I had to have my mom come pick me up, right? And my wife, they kind of tag team to help get me home. And it was just a weird thing. So I scheduled an appointment with a doctor. I did this test and everything turned out fine. I didn't have any underlying medical conditions. We ran blood tests and all this stuff and they couldn't figure out what it was. And so uh, I was like, well, that was weird. Um, the next time I was supposed to go preach, I had to call and cancel. Even I couldn't even make it to Sunday because... Whatever it was, I would be fine during the week, but then little things would trigger something in my brain and I, I couldn't function. And it even started to happen on my Thursday night, what it was eventually became Sunday night church services. Now, there's nothing more comfortable for me than me talking to my own church. I know these people. I love these people. I've ministered to them. It's like home. My office and the sanctuary of the church that I pastor right now, and whatever church I'm pastoring, that sanctuary is always kind of my safe place. I can go there if I'm having a bad day. I can go to the altar 
and I feel peace. I feel at peace in my office. I feel at peace. It's, it's just my little hole. If you've ever been in my office, it looks like a college dorm room because I turn it into that. I make it my safe little bubble so I can deal with all the uh, sadness of everybody's life that you have to deal with as a pastor in a safe environment. So, but it began to where I couldn't preach even at my own church. And I would be all prepared, have a sermon ready to go. And then I would have to go ask somebody. I'd be like, hey, we had a girl named Jerry who just got done doing uh, a mission trip. I'm like, you're going to have to share a testimony about missions today because I, I can't physically make myself go on stage. And as she would talk, I would be in the back trying to hold back tears and weeping. And it made no sense to me. And I'd be very apologetic and I'd, I, I didn't know. And so I, I'm just telling this story to kind of give you like a, a, a frame set for those of you who have never dealt with anxiety or depression to maybe help you be a little bit more sympathetic to people who have gone through it because nobody in my family had gone through it. So they weren't super sympathetic. They, it's not that they weren't supportive. There was just like they had no idea how to understand what was going on. And neither did I. And because I had never been through it, I was not very sympathetic to people who had anxiety or depression. So uh, eventually, this, this carries on for months, and I, I lost my ability to preach. And this is where the depression comes from, because the only thing I had ever been good at, before, before being a minister, the only other job that I was actually successful at was delivering copiers, right? I, I liked that job. They liked me at that job. Eventually, they moved me over to sales, and I probably could have been good at that, but they gave you a base salary that was more than I'd ever made. And then you got commissioned. So I just didn't do any work. <laughs> like, like I was a sinner. I was lost. So I would go into the office at nine and you had to check back in at five. And in between then I'd go home, drink and smoke pot and take a shower afterwards to sober up and check in. And I was still making more money than I'd ever made in my life. So that didn't last too long because eventually like you don't sell copiers and you smell like pot all the time. But uh, ministering was the only job that I would ever actually good at, like just preaching. I found it was where I, I it's, it's where I found God's purpose in my life, that I was made for this. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And all of a sudden I couldn't do the only thing I knew how to do. And so depression made the anxiety even worse. And this is where it began to turn around because I could not do my job and I didn't know. So it got so bad where I finally had to seek help. I didn't seek professional counselors, though there's nothing wrong with professional counselors. I'm lucky enough that I have some good godly men in my life, some who have gone through unbelievable tragedies. Um, some of them have lost children. Um, there's just incredible, incredible people in my life. And when I came to them with this situation, they were not surprised by it at all. In fact, they told me that they had been praying that God would break me of my ego. And they believed that this was God's way of getting my attention. Now, I can back that up with scripture because it's really easy to say, I believe this happened because of this, because God was trying to tell me this. So there's a couple of things that make sense that helped me understand that it was actually my sinfulness causing my anxiety. So when overcoming, the first way to overcome depression and anxiety, the first step 
should always be to ask, is something I'm doing causing this anxiousness and depression? Is this just a consequence of poor choices? And for me, now not for everybody, so this is not like, I don't want you to get defensive if you have anxiety and it's not, if it's literally just a chemical imbalance in your brain that you require medication for, I'm not against medication. Uh, I'm, I totally understand that there are people who just have this chemical reaction inside their brain. It is misfiring and it is no, no doing there of their own. And hopefully I can still give some advice to people like that. But I think a lot of people who suffer anxiety and depression, it's self-induced. It, it comes from, I made stupid choices and I feel really bad and depressed, but I have to keep up some kind of social fakeness in order to make people think I'm cool or whatever. And, and then you suffer the consequences of those actions. So for me, it was my pride. Scripture says that God does not share his glory with another and he means it. I was a glory thief. So I would stand on that stage and I would take all the praise. And I knew, I knew how to work an audience. I knew that if I told this sermon that I could get tears. Like if I told this story, and I have a sermon called The Gospel According to Eric, and it's about losing my friend Eric Brassfield. And there's very emotional parts of it. And every time I preached it, I would get emotional. And I could, other people would respond emotionally. And so if people respond emotionally, they might not be like, oh, that was a really good job of unpacking scripture. But I knew that if I had an emotional reaction on stage, it would cause other people, they would be empathetic and they would have an emotional reaction. And they would think that sermon was amazing just because they had an emotional reaction, which quite often people don't normally do during church, unless you're charismatic, right? Then you always have an emotional reaction. But at Southern Baptist churches, for somebody to cry during a sermon uh, is pretty rare. But if you do that, they remembered it. And I wanted to be remembered as a good preacher, so I would preach that sermon intentionally, even if I, I wasn't praying like, God, what do you need me to say to this specific church? I, there was none of that. I, 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 I do that now, but I didn't realize in hindsight how selfish, because pride sneaks up. Nobody knows they're prideful. Nobody understands that they're prideful. Prideful blindsides you, right? If you knew that you were prideful, uh, then you're not that prideful. But somebody who's prideful, that's the thing, is they just think they don't have any problems. They think, well, this I'm just great. I'm awesome at everything I do. And so why would I? But anyways... So uh, these good godly men, they suggested that I repent and that I humble myself before God. Now, when I did that, I suddenly could preach again. That didn't mean I didn't have some trepidation. No, I, it's like I had just been flogged. I had been beaten. Um, you know, it's like a, a dog who every time you open the gate tries to run out. And so you bop it on the nose so it won't go out. But one day you want to take it for a walk, so you open the door, and the dog's nervous to go through. And I don't hit my dogs. I'm just using this as an illustration. Uh, but it would be really nervous to go through the door, and the whole time on the walk, it'd be looking back at you like, uh, right? Now, I had been disciplined by God because of my pride and ego, and then he allowed me to preach again. And I, I wasn't afraid of God. I was afraid I was afraid of being a glory thief again. I was afraid of, I wasn't, so I wasn't afraid necessarily of God's discipline. I appreciate God's discipline. I was afraid of being stupid again. I was afraid of going back to the old me because once your eyes see the 
inner ugliness of your soul, you don't want to go back to that, right? It's like somebody who's been a drug addict and they get free from it. And one thing they used to love, all of a sudden, if they were to see it, they would run from it because it's scary. What they used to love becomes scary. And that's when God opens your eyes to your sinfulness. That is one way I know people are saved is because the things they used to love becomes things they hate. And so I would get really afraid that my pride, which is so sneaky and still is, might sneak back in some way and take ownership of that. So the first thing I needed to do is I needed to recognize what was my fault and what wasn't my fault. So there were things in my life that were my fault. But then there's also things that aren't my fault that I took upon myself. I took ownership of other people's pains and problems. And if those aren't my fault, then I shouldn't worry about them to the degree that I was worrying about them. And that's usually how people would interact with me. Do they like me? Do they think I'm a good preacher? And I would always be wondering if other people approved of how I did. And it takes a lot of energy to act like you don't care, but to care immensely at the same time. And so I had to kind of let go of how other people viewed me and whether they thought I was a good Southern Baptist preacher. And I just don't care. Like you just have to stop caring. Um, So I began to be able to preach again. I still will get anxiety, but not panic attacks. So once that happened, I can't, I could maybe count, and this is, this is maybe six years ago. Um, I'm terrible at time, so it could have been two years ago, but no, it's not two years, but it, it's been a while. And since then, I can maybe count on, on one hand how many panic attacks I've had, and they've been much smaller and much more manageable, and they don't last for a month, right? Like, because there were weeks where I could not get out of bed because the fear of facing the world was literally overwhelming. And now I, I get, uh, so I usually do summer camps and I do this camp called Camp Siloam, which I love, but there's 2,000 kids out there and you're going to be the one person on the stage and there are going to be 2,000 people and they're going to, you know, it sounds bad, but they, they pay me decently to come and preach. And so I, I have the pressure of those kids, but I also, I want to do a good job. I want to earn my paycheck. I don't want them to go, man, you know what? Um, we don't really want Caleb back again. Like he's a nice guy, but uh, we're looking for something a little bit more, you know, just better and more polished and somebody who can do this job. And it's obvious he couldn't do that job. And so there's that, there's that uh, professional pressure, but then there's that spiritual responsibility of like, I need to be honest with these kids I need to be upfront and I need to be prayed up that God is going to speak. So there's all this pressure and that causes me some anxiety. I used to be able to, they could say, hey, Caleb, there's 10,000 people out there. Uh, you go preach. And I'd be like, yeah, wait till they meet me, right? And there, so the ego protected me from what I should actually be feeling. And that would be the weight and the responsibility of honoring God with my job. So uh, pride and ego protect you from weight you should naturally feel. So sometimes people have been so protected their entire life that the first time that they feel pressure, they have anxiety from it because they've never felt pressure or responsibility before. And I think that's one reason that so many kids suffer from anxiety and depression now is because they get out into the world and for the first time they are battling obstacles and it overwhelms them. 
because they just haven't been raised to deal with it. So parents, allow your children to face obstacles and don't help them. Allow them to overcome it on their own. My kids would be like, this is hard. And I'm like, well, then, then work harder. You can do it. And if you can't, that's okay. But I'm not going to protect you. So the other thing that I did that really helped as I was going through this process is once I was able to speak again a little bit, I still struggled with this depression because I just, I mean, it, it leaves its claws in you for uh, quite some time. And it took me a long time. I would like to say that, oh, once I could preach again, it was all better. Well, I could preach again, but I was still, man, I'm just coming out of a storm and I'm trying to figure out what the heck happened. I, I wasn't, like now in hindsight, a lot of this seems crystal clear, but man, it was a long process. I did a study on Philippians, which is often known as the book of joy. And you see this, the person, Paul, who's writing it, is talking about being joyful in prison. And I became, I, 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 I became a searcher of joy. Like it became a motivation. I was like, I'm going to find it as though it's a lost treasure somewhere that I could, if I just dig deep enough, I will find joy. So I, be, I made the pursuit of joy something that was central in my life. Like I am going to go after this with whatever, because I knew I couldn't live this way. I was like, I, I man, I, those dark thoughts of suicidal thoughts. I was like, I, I can't live that way. So my only other option is, is I'm going to do whatever it takes to find and reclaim joy in my life. So I did a study on the book of Philippians and then John Piper was real helpful when he talked about Christian hedonism. So if you know what hedonism is, hedonism is this, it's like basically a moral philosophy that people uh, just pursue joy. And a, a, a cultural, a worldly hedonist is somebody who just sleeps with everybody and does every drug and they're basically a nihilist and they're just pursuing pleasure at all time. Well, a Christian hedonist is somebody who passionately pursues pleasure and joy found in Christ and Christ alone. So I, I came to the understanding uh, there's this verse in Nehemiah, it's 8.10, and it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I, I knew I didn't have joy of my own anymore, like this kind of illusion uh, that I had created that made me joyful had been shattered, and it needed to be shattered because it was based solely upon me. And so I wanted to replace that with the joys. Like, so I, I can have strength, and I can have joy, but it comes from God, not from me. So I began to chase finding joy and happiness in Christ and Christ alone because that was the only thing that couldn't be removed from me. I can lose my job. I could lose my family. I can lose my house. I can lose my dogs. I could lose all the stuff that I hold and treasure, but I can't lose my relationship with God. So if I hold onto that, and if I find my true joy and peace in that, then I'll be okay. So I began to pursue that uh, with great vigor. And one of the ways that I did that is I realized that this reason that, uh, you know, my brain works nonstop. And I kept asking the question, why are so many people dealing with anxiety and depression? And why is it so bad? The truth is, is you weren't meant to feel that way. That's why, it, that's, that, hey, that's why it sucks so much. You, you weren't meant to feel that way. The same way like if you were to do something really wrong, your conscience would kick in and make you feel like crap for doing that. So I realized that in many ways, anxiety and depression is our body malfunctioning. And this is what led me to pursue a study of the first four or five chapters of Genesis for over a year and a half of just wanting to know, okay, how were human beings 
meant to be created? What would it look like if I was still in the Garden of Eden? What emotions would be there and which ones would not? And how can I begin to reclaim the way I was designed to live? So the whole world is fine-tuned to operate in a certain way, right? The, the laws of physics, the laws of, you know, you get the second law of thermodynamics. Everything is meant to operate a certain way. The laws of the universe are constant and unchanging. And so are you. You were meant to operate in a certain way. And when I sin, I malfunction, and the ramifications, it's like your computer has a virus, which is a bad analogy to use right now when we are in a pandemic, but you know what I'm saying. So it's like the computer has a virus, and it's malfunctioning, so it no longer works correctly. And that's what sin does. Sin is your body malfunctioning. You're no longer operating the way you were designed to operate. So I realize that not just sin, but anxiety and depression are also my body malfunctioning. And so I just wanted to pursue a life where I malfunctioned as little as possible. And that only comes from pursuing and trying to emulate Jesus Christ because he's the one who teaches us how to live. Blaise Pascal, which was a Christian mathematician and philosopher, he says, everybody pursues happiness at all times, even the person who hangs himself, right? I'm summarizing that should be pretty exact, but I'm summarizing and what he means by that is everybody's trying to be happy. Every decision you make is believe you are believing you will be happy because you made that decision. You never make a decision because you think it is going to make your life worse. You always hope either now, like so you could make a decision that sucks now, but your belief is the payoff will be greater in the in the end run. So like my brother runs marathons and I have no desire to do that because the pain of it now is I don't, I don't have a desire to have the joy that supposedly comes from when you finish a marathon. Like it is not, the pain isn't, uh, the pain is greater than any kind of joy I would get from that because I just don't like to run. He likes to run so he can suffer the pain because he believes the joy will be greater. So even the pain that he chooses is in a pursuit of happiness. Does that make sense? And he says, even the person who hangs himself, the person who commits suicide is chasing joy. They believe that is the last, that is the last resort. They can't find joy anywhere else. They can't find it in God. They can't find it within themselves. So the only way they believe they can find joy is to take their own life and then the pain will stop, right? And that's, that's a terrible, terrible tragedy because there is no joy in that moment. There's nothing good that comes from that. In fact, it's just malfunctioning at its highest level. That is when your computer totally crashes. So side note, if you struggle with, depression or suicidal thoughts. Reach out. It's okay. More people have been there than you can ever imagine. So um, this pursuit of Christian hedonism was another journey that just took me further away from depression and anxiety. I also, I managed my time better to make more ways for me to express myself. I become, I'm not a workaholic, but I became a workaholic just because my job sometimes requires it. I still work a lot, a lot of hours. Even when I'm home, uh, I'm reading books, I'm thanking my wife, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm writing notes for a sermon that is two months away because the brain just never shuts off. So I had to find ways. Your brain is a muscle, it gets exhausted. You have to find ways to shut off your brain in a healthy way. Alcohol and drugs are negative ways of shutting off your brain. Alcohol and drugs, when abused, stop your maturity, right? You stop growing up. Have you ever met somebody who's been doing drugs for a long time? I work with a lot of people 
uh, minister to a lot of people who have been addicts for years. And when they stop doing drugs, they are the same maturity level as when they started, right? They're, they might be 30 years old, but they're 19. That's because they've never had to deal with the issues that were approaching them. They just, they just quieted the voices with drugs and alcohol. It's, it's a coping mechanism that is not healthy because you never actually cope. You just drown it, right? You just, you just hide it, but it's still there. So I managed to find ways to make room to express myself in a healthy way. I always did art. I loved art, so I started drawing again. Pick up the guitar again, start writing poetry, whatever it was, again, just finding ways, doing exercise, finding anything besides just focusing in on what are the negative things that I was dwelling on. Look, if you suffer from anxiety and depression, exercise is scientifically proven to greatly improve your mental health. If you are depressed and you're at home in a dark room and you're just going to eat Cheetos and just binge watch Netflix, you are going to feel worse tomorrow, right? So get up, get outside, go for a walk. Don't even have headphones on necessarily. Deal with your inner thoughts. Deal with those inner voices instead of checking out and just binge watching Netflix. Um, so I said no to a lot more stuff. That, that was very healthy in helping my anxiety and depression. Just started saying no more because I always felt like if you're a people pleaser and people ask you to do something, you go do it, even though you might be exhausted. I spent less time on my phone. There is a huge connection between the amount of time you spend on Facebook and social media and the amount of depression that you feel. I can guarantee you, if you would spend less time, you will feel better. My phone broke and I had to get it replaced and it took four hours for them to get it fixed. And that was the best four hours of my life. Like I would just, I felt so free. I felt so free. I I didn't feel attached to everybody and everybody's instant need, right? Like they instantly need you and you have to instantly respond and everything is urgent. And then you scroll through and everybody's on vacation and they're at the beach and their spouse is better than your spouse and their love life is better than your love life and their money is better than your money and they have a nicer house And all you do is just, you're just going to get on there and compare yourself to everybody else. And in order to make you feel better, you're going to use filters and you're going to post all these pictures of yourself in fake situations, smiling, a fake smile in order to make yourself look better. But you know that it is not real and you're going to feel worse afterwards, right? So spend less time on your phone. And then the last thing that really helped me is godliness with contentment is great gain. What, what verse is that? For, God, for godliness with contentment is great gain. Give me one second while I look that up here. Yeah, I thought I had that in my note. With contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So, Uh, what I began to meditate and focus on that verse, obviously not hard enough to memorize where it was. Um, But I was like, man, so I could be content. If I'm just content with God, then I gain stuff. Because you always think contentment comes from adding more stuff, but that is not where contentment comes from. The lie of the world is that you would be content if you had a better job, if you had more retirement, if you had like some kind of like financial security, you think that's where contentment comes from. 
Like most of y'all, the average debt for a household is around $8,000. And you have that debt because you thought if you would get this fill-in-the-blank piece of junk, you would somehow feel more content. Scripture says contentment comes from a relationship with God. When you have that, then you gain. It doesn't say you gain financially. You gain whatever comes from actually being content. And that is peace. And that is joy. Christianity offers something the rest of the world cannot offer. So this is what I love about Christianity. Beside the fact that it's true, Jesus paid for my sins in the past. He also paid for the sins in my future. And he promises that he will take care of my needs in the future. So if my past is taken care of and my future is taken care of, guess what I can do? I can live in the moment. What is that like? When was the last time you lived in the moment? Most people can't do that. The sociologists say that uh, most decisions you make as a human being are made from one of two categories. You make a decision based upon regret from the past. So you're like, oh, I don't want to make that mistake again. Or fear from the future. Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to be poor, so I better go to this college, right? So regret from the past and fear of the future are what drive most decisions that people make. As Christians, we are told that we don't have to regret our past, that God paid for our sins, and he has cast them away as far as the east is from the south. East is from the West, right? Sorry, Uh, I'm not good with directions either. Uh, As far as the East is from the West, that our sins are gone. So I don't have to make decisions based upon regret for my past. And I don't have to worry about my future. That means I can live in the moment and say, God, how can you use me today? How can I function properly today? And I don't know if people like this whole function, malfunction, language, terminology, but man, it's really helpful to me. Is if I look and I don't say I'm depressed, and I make it very personal. I just say, oh, I'm malfunctioning. There is depression or anxiety within me, but it is not me. That is not how I was created. It's not how humans were created. We won't exist that way in, in, when we're with God on the new earth, right? Like, so I, I don't want to personify and make anxiety or depression about me. I want to think of it in the same way if I said I had COVID, right? Praise God, let's knock on wood that I don't. But if I was to say that I have that, I'm not going to say I am COVID, right? But you might have depression. But what, we, what do we do? Say, I am depressed. I say, look, I, I'm, I have depression, but it is a malfunctioning part of me that I am working on. And there's a couple of things that I can do to do it. So quick thing that I, first thing I asked, was it my fault? What is my fault and what isn't my fault? Because I can take care, I can, I can work with what's my fault. I can't do anything about what's your fault. I can't do anything about that. But I can deal with what's my fault. I did a study on scripture in the book of Philippians. And I looked at people who were in worse positions than me and had greater joy than I have. So I wanted to learn from them. Christian hedonism. I find my joy in God and God alone, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Where does my strength come from? How do I get the strength to even overcome depression and anxiety? Well, I don't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I have no bootstraps. That is an American fable that we've told people that, hey, no matter how bad it is, pull yourself up. Sometimes you can't pull yourself up. I gave God my boots and he put them back on me and helped me walk like a little baby, right? Because I needed that. So uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I also manage my time better. Spend less time on Netflix, Hulu, your phone. Get back to expressing yourself. I think all of this is, is we're just trying to undo the damage that adult has caused us. Adulthood robs you of the joy you had as a kid. If you had a, now not everybody grows up with a good family and has a good child life, but 
If you grew up and you just had a lot of fun as a kid and you don't remember any of this stuff as a kid, well, guess what? Adulthood robbed it from you by putting all this pressure that is not biblical pressure on you. So reclaim your childhood, uh, not, not the childish actions, but the childish mentality. I managed my time better. I said no a lot more. I spent less time on my phone. And I learned over years, and I'm still learning, to be content. This means I don't constantly evaluate myself according to others and wish I had or were in the spot that they were. I learned that God has got me where he's got me, and wherever I am, that is okay. So I can be in a bad situation, and it'd be a glorious moment. I hope that helps. Um, I don't know how long this went. That might have been kind of brief, but we've got some good stuff coming up. You know me. I release one about once a month. I have no desire to do any more than that unless, uh, look, if you guys wanted to pay me and replace my salary to do podcasts every week, I would be more than glad to do that. But uh, I love preaching, so I'm going to focus on preaching every week. You can always hear the sermons. They're uploaded at katusafirst.com. If you would like to support us in any way, uh, support this podcast or my wife and I, we are not uh, fully funded by our church. We raise support. And uh, you can go to katusafirst.com, and on the donate, there is a pastor love offering tab that uh, we, you'd be more than welcome to donate and help us out with our ministry. So love you guys. I will continue to be praying for everybody as you go through this. If you are struggling with anxiety and depression, feel free to reach out. And uh, remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Talk to you later.